we're going to be looking at in our message today. The rest of us, we can be opening our Bibles to Hebrews 10, continuing on our study in the book of Hebrews, out of the song, The Solid Rock. Um, in verse 3, it says, his, ho- his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. And that's what we've been talking about for two weeks here, the new covenant that comes with Jesus Christ. The, and and then we're going to be looking at that even more today as we look at Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. <coughs> but there was an old covenant, and Jesus Christ ushered in a new covenant. Then in the song, Hallelujah, What a Savior, we read, Spotless Lamb of God was He, full atonement can it be. Full atonement. Not just a temporary covering, but a complete removal of our sin. Full atonement. And then... Ending today at the end of our sermon, what Melissa sang, he came once for all. Once for all. And so we're going to see that theme prevail in today's, in today's study. But if you have your Bibles, you want to open to Hebrews chapter 10. The title today is The Perfect Sacrifice. The Perfect Sacrifice. Chapters 7, 8, and 9, we've been going through in Hebrews here. Chapters 7, 8, 9, and now chapter 10, we see familiar themes that Paul is teaching. There, there is emphasis that is drawn time and time again to the fact that there was an old covenant that has been perfected in a new covenant. And, we, you know, he started out Hebrews talking about the, 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 um, the fact that Jesus Christ was superior to angels, to Moses, all these things. And then he started going into this discussion. We looked at the tabernacle. We looked at sacrifice. We looked at the old covenant, the new covenant. And now as we get to chapter 10... Paul is still just, just fleshing out those, those themes with more information, helping us to truly understand what it is that he wants us to understand, what change took place, because there was a dramatic shift from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in so many ways. But everything in the Old Covenant pointed to the new covenant. And that's what we're going to see today as we jump into chapter 10. Notice what it says. It says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So first we see today the shadow of the law. The shadow of the law. Notice what it says. It says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. The law served as a shadow of something real, something perfect. Now, we all understand what a shadow is, right? You can go outside on a sunny day and you can see a shadow. If you stand out in the sun, you will see your shadow. Uh, many times when I've got my dog out, uh, I, I, when the sun's out, I see her shadow, which is always hilarious because she's got these gigantic ears that point up. And so you can see the shadow, the outline of those ears, um, and uh, you see a shadow. But we understand that a shadow does not give details. I, if I were to stand outside and we were to, uh, I was to stand where, where an artist couldn't see me but could see my shadow, that artist is not going to be able to, to paint or draw a picture of what I look like. Because all they're going to have is some of the image. They're going to have the shape. That's all they're going to have. That's all a shadow gives us. It doesn't give us the full detail. Um, It is not sufficient to give us the total picture. Even a picture is not sufficient to give us the total picture because even in a picture, we lose something from what is real. So what the law is doing 
And this is Paul's point, is the law is simply serving as a shadow of the real thing. If you think of it this way, you have Jesus Christ here as our Redeemer and His shadow back behind Him and the law's back over here looking at the shadow of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. That's what is happening and that's what He wants us to understand. The, the shadow is not sufficient. Philip states it this way. He says, in the Old Testament era, the Israelites had only shadows. The substance is in Christ. They had the shadows. Folks, we have the substance today. We have the substance because we live on the side of Calvary. The shadow of a key cannot unlock a prison door. This is what Philip says. The shadow of Calvary cannot take away sin. See, folks, we have to understand that what was taking place back when, it, when our Bible was being written, back in the, in the Old Testament with the Israelites, was simply looking forward to something more perfect. That's what it was doing. It was a shadow. It was a shadow. And the law and sacrifices offered continually, time and time again, year after year. <coughs> Brother Brett and I were talking the other night, and, and we were just talking about, can you imagine? I don't even know how they had so many animals to sacrifice. How that provision was made, because the, the tabernacle was a place of constant sacrifice of animals. One after the other, after the other, after the other, day after day, year after year. Sacrifices being made. But those sacrifices could not take away sin. And that's the point here of, as we get into chapter 10 and the idea of this shadow. He says, he says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, <coughs> excuse me, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Notice the, what he says. He says they can never. Why? Because there is only one perfect sacrifice, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifices. So those animals offered one after the other after the other, thousands by thousands, were never, ever going to take away sin, and they were not intended to. They were intended to point to Jesus Christ, who can take away sin. That's the idea here. Atonement literally means to cover up. The sins were not gone. They were simply at that time covered over by the blood of animal sacrifices. They were never going to make the person that offered them perfect. It wasn't going to happen. They couldn't. Now, if they could make a man perfect, they would have ceased to be offered. That's what he goes on to in verse 2. It says, for then... Would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin? So he says, they're never going to make man free from the penalty of sin. And if they could have, then after they offered him once, they wouldn't have to offer him anymore. So Paul's just being very logical. He's just saying, listen, if these sacrifices were sufficient, if they could take care of what needed to be taken care of, they would have been offered once and the person would have been done. He would have been had a, free, free, a conscience free of guilt for the rest of his life. But they didn't, and they couldn't. 
And that's Paul's point. Paul's point is, listen, if this could have happened, then you could walk through life with your conscience free from sin. But that's not what took place. Because they couldn't free the conscience from sin. How many sacrifices would have been enough to free the conscience from sin? See, that's where we get today with the, with the issue of works. How many good works can I do to earn my way into heaven? Well, the answer is none, because all my righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what the scripture tells me. But, but people still today ask that question. How many good works can I do so that when I die, the balance is just tipped it a little in my favor? How many good works can I put on the balance? That would be just like the Israelites saying, how many animals could I sacrifice at the tabernacle so when I die, the balance is in my favor? doesn't work. And it doesn't work today with our works either, folks. You know, it doesn't even work with our church attendance. It doesn't work with giving to the church. It doesn't work by sending missionaries around the world. I mean, these are all important things, and I believe we should do that. But that is not going to balance on a scale that is going to tip us to the point that we're saved and going to heaven. It doesn't work. Because there needed to be a perfect sacrifice. None of these things clears man's conscience because they do not remove sin. Yet man tries over and over again. I've had, how many people have you had in your life tell you, I'm just trying to live good enough to get to heaven? Well, you can't live good enough to get to heaven. But boy, people tell you that, don't they? Do you know where you're going to go when you die someday? Well, I, I'm hoping I've done enough good things that I'm going to go to heaven. That's not how it works. But that's what people say. I'm hoping I've lived a good enough life I'm hoping, I've been, I'm hoping I've been kind enough to enough people. I'm hoping I, you know, just what I'm hoping, it, and it's always things I got to do. It's works. I, I'm hoping I did this. I'm hoping I did this. I'm hoping I did this. And Paul's saying, listen, it's not getting you to heaven. Because all the sacrifices back in the tabernacle weren't even going to get people to heaven. Because they were pointing to something else. They were pointing to Jesus Christ. The answer is not to have sin covered. The answer is to have it removed. Turn over to Acts chapter 3 just for a minute. Acts chapter 3, and starting in verse 13. Acts 3 and verse 13. It says, The God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. What is he saying here? Peter, Peter in his sermon, he's saying, listen, you crucified the Savior. You put to death the Savior and he's begging them to come back to him now so that they can have their sins, what? Blotted out. Not covered. 
blotted out, removed, gone. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying there is a difference between animal sacrifice, there's a difference between trying to do good works, there's a difference between all these things, and what literally really saves, and the difference is Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's what we need to understand. Psalm 103, Psalm 103 and uh, verse 12 says this, Psalm 103 verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. See, folks, we today do not have the problem that the Israelites had in the Old Testament where the blood simply covered over the sin temporarily. We have the privilege of having our sin thrown as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it no longer exists. Why? Because it has been covered in the perfect sacrifice by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why. That takes us to point number B. Under We have the, we have the shadow under the shadow of the law. Point number B today, uh, we have the guilty conscience. Notice what it says if you go back to Hebrews in verse 3. He says, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Now, when he says every year, he's going back to the day of atonement. Where the, where the priest went into the Holy of Holies to even ask forgiveness for the sins of ignorance that the children of Israel had committed. And he says, what that day does is not remove sin, it reminds you that you're guilty of it. That's what they, that day does. That day, because you have to go and let the priest go into the Holy of Holies on your behalf, is telling you you're not free from sin yet. You don't have a clean conscience. Your conscience is still guilty because of your sin. So what it does is it doesn't remove your sin. It reminds you of it. It reminds you that you're a sinner and looking forward to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Each year on the Day of Atonement, the sinner was reminded that he was still a sinner. He was still a sinner. That he was still guilty. Look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 17. Notice what it says. It says, And if you call upon the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Okay, so here we go. Paul, now, now we have Peter here in 1 Peter. He's going he's gonna to tell us just like Paul did that you're not redeemed with corruptible things. You are not redeemed because you offered sacrifices of animals. You're not redeemed because you did good works. You're not redeemed because you can give money to the church. You're not redeemed by these things. That's what he's saying. You're not redeemed with corruptible things as gold and silver from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But with what? With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be where? In God. Your faith and hope is not in your works. Your faith and hope is not in your money. Your faith and, and hope is not in what you can do. Your faith and hope is in God. 
That's where it should be. Seeing you have purified yourselves, your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, being saved, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What was Jesus Christ, folks? He was the living word. How are we saved? By the word of God. <laughs> the living word. For all flesh is as, the, as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Praise the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you are saved by one thing and one thing only. It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for you. That's where salvation comes from. That's where it comes from. That's what he's saying in 1 Peter here. So we go back to Hebrews. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ. Our souls are purified, being born again. This is how we take care of a guilty conscience. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that takes us to letter C under this section, under the shadow, the impossibility. The impossibility. Paul is just, sometimes he's just so clear. I, I, I appreciate just, just how clearly he, he writes because he gives us doctrine that is so crucial to our walk with the Lord. Verse 4, for it is not possible it cannot happen. It will not happen. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Could it be any clearer, folks? Now, I understand we, we do a lot of weird things in our modern language because we twist the definitions of things all the time. But I'm telling you one definition you can't twist, and that's Scripture. Scripture says it is not possible. So there's no way around that, folks. You can't say, well, maybe not possible. No, it doesn't say that. It says it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can save. It's not possible. It is not going to happen. These sacrifices could not remove or wash away sin. Listen, we sing a hymn. Oh, my goodness, this week I, I sing it about hymns that we sing about the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You get the picture, folks? The picture is this. There is one way and one way only to spend eternity with the Father, and that's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood. What happens, folks? Lose all their guilty stains. That's what we're talking about today. That's what Paul is trying to present to us. He's showing us that, that the, the, the law is simply a shadow. That takes us to point number two today. The presence then of a perfect sacrifice. If the Old Testament sacrifices were not sufficient, Paul just told us they cannot take away sin. They're not, it's not possible 
So is there an alternative? Well, Paul tells us the alternative in the next few verses. There is a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. Notice what it says. It says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world. What is he talking about? He's talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and was born in that manger, came to this earth in a human body, 100% God, 100% man, when he came into this world, notice what he saith. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Jesus Christ said, listen, I know that the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient. So God, you created me a body. I stepped out of heaven and I stepped onto this earth with a purpose. Wherefore, when he cometh in this world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He understood that a body was prepared for him to be our sacrifice. Turn over to John chapter 1. Oh my goodness. We, we've studied John. John 1, first several verses of that chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, not of the Old Testament sacrifices, nor of the will of the flesh, not because I really want to go to heaven, nor the will of man, determination, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, folks, Jesus Christ stepped out of eternity into our world so that he could be the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice. As many as received him became the sons of God by God, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 6. It says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, Thou hast had no pleasure. Now, now we're going to get repeated here. Paul is, is trying to really drive home the point about sacrifices. So he has said it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sacrifice. Jesus Christ said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Now in verse 6, In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. God does not take pleasure in these things. Why? Because they do not satisfy the justice required by a holy God for our sin. So he doesn't take pleasure in those things. He doesn't. And then notice what it says in verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. 
So, so we, we keep going back and forth between this discussion of bulls and goats' blood, not sufficient. You don't take pleasure in sacrifice. You don't do this. You don't do that. And then Jesus Christ says, listen, in the volume of the book, it is written that I come to do thy will. What part of the book did they have at that time? They had the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he says, in the volume of the book, in those manuscripts, everything pointed to what? Jesus Christ. From the very beginning. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden? What did God do? He took the life of an animal. He shed blood. Why? Because the plan from before the foundations of the world was for a perfect blood sacrifice down the road a ways. And so to picture that, God took the life of animals. You know, I, was talk, who, I don't know, who was, who was I talking to that mentioned the fact that Adam and Eve had named all the animals? I was talking to somebody in the church here. You know, Adam had named all the animals. When, when God took those creatures' lives, he took something that Adam had named he took something that was important to Adam, and he sacrificed it. He shed its blood. That animal no longer was there because of Adam's sin. A price had to be paid, and it was all pointing to the future. That's what it was doing. But Jesus Christ says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to me to do thy will, O God. Christ came to do the Father's will. Turn over just a minute to Matthew. We need to move quickly here. Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and starting in verse 38. Notice what it says. It says, Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. This is when Jesus was praying told the guys to wait and watch with him. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went again the second time and prayed, O Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. See, folks, before the foundation of the world, God had a redemptive plan. And that redemptive plan was for Jesus to step out of eternity, step onto this earth, and shed his blood on the cross. And so Jesus Christ says from the very beginning of the book, when the volumes were first starting to be written, he says, listen, there's a plan. I'm here to do God's will. That's what he says. And then verse 8 serves as an extension of verse 6. If we go to verse 8, notice what it says. It says, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin. What is Paul doing? He is basically trying to identify every type of sacrifice that they would do. All of them. So he, he breaks them down into these categories. He says sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin. I've covered it all, he's saying. Every sacrifice that you guys do, 
And here's what he says about it. Thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. He says, I don't care which sacrifice you want to refer to. He says, I don't care if it's this sacrifice, this sacrifice, this sacrifice, or this sacrifice. None of them are going to help ultimately because there's a new covenant. And that's what he's been talking about. <clears throat> Verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. We're back to Jesus now. Jesus is saying, I'm come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Now that's important. That's important. We see a contrast here. He says he takes away the first. What was the first? It was the animal sacrifices, the offerings that were made. He says he's taken those away. They are no longer in play. Why? He's taken them away so that there can be a second, a perfect sacrifice. That's what he's talking about here. So he can establish the second. Barnes says, states this, he says, he takes them away, that is, he shows that they are of no value in, re, in removing sin. He states their inefficacy and declares his purpose to abolish them. In other words, everything that was done in the sacrificial system is over. It's finished. It's abolished. It's completed. It did not do anything but point us to this point where Jesus Christ sheds his blood. And notice what he says. He uses very important words here. He establishes the second. The word established there means to stand, to place, to set up, or to appoint. Jesus Christ was appointed by God before the foundation of the world to be the perfect sacrifice. That's what God did. That's what God did. And then we close today with verse 10. By the which will, by the which will, excuse me, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He says, listen, because God abolished away with the first covenant and now we have a second covenant, a perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ, we now can be saved and it's because of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. There had to be a penalty. God's justice required a blood be spilt, blood be spent. The blood of Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin and mine once, one time, for all, all mankind. Listen, folks, I, I'm getting so tired of people trying to tell me that God didn't die for every man. It is very clear through all the scripture today that God died for every man. His desire, his will is that mankind would come to accept the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what God did once in a perfect sacrifice for all of mankind. That's what it says. Several places we've read today, it's for everyone. It's one sacrifice, once for all. The perfect sacrifice. And folks, that's what we enjoy because we live on this side of Calvary. For those of us that have trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, 
We have trusted in a perfect sacrifice. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed as we come to the end of this message. Such an important passage of scripture, folks. It's just, I mean, there's so much doctrine in the first 10 verses of, of chapter 10 here. It is so important for us to understand what Paul is trying to show us. And listen, folks, I don't know all your backgrounds. I don't know where everybody's come from. I don't know what churches you grew up in. I don't know what you've been taught. But if you've been taught anything other than the fact that the only way to heaven is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, then you've been taught wrong. Quite frankly, that's all there is to it. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. So I would ask you today, if you're here, have you accepted the gift of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, Calvary for, your, for your salvation? And if the answer is no, I would invite you in a minute, I'm going to have Alyssa just play through a verse of a, of a song. I would invite you to come down front, I'll have somebody take a Bible, and they can show you today for sure how you can know that you're saved today. But folks, if you've trusted and that shed blood, you have put your faith and trust in a perfect sacrifice. Isn't that encouraging? It was perfect. There is nothing wrong with that sacrifice. It is sufficient. It is the only thing that is sufficient for our salvation today. And so maybe we just need to thank the Lord for that today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'll ask Alyssa just to play through a verse of a song. The altar's open. If maybe you just need to spend some time with the Lord this morning, the altar's open. We wait just for a moment.